Welcome to another episode of the Untangling Web3 podcast. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Gracie Chen, the Managing Director of BitGet, a leading cryptocurrency exchange where she leads growth and expansion into global markets. Having been involved in the crypto world since 2014, Gracie brings a wide range of experiences to Web3, having also held executive roles at the virtual reality tech company XR Space. On top of all that, Gracie has previously been named as a global shaper by the World Economic Forum and holds an MBA from MIT. So with that impressive introduction, Welcome to the show, Gracie. Hi, everyone. Nice meeting you, Jack and Alec. Hey, Gracie. How are you doing today? I'm good. Perfect. Great. So yeah, impressive background introduction that Jack has given you. But let's hear it from your own mouth, actually. Can you explain um, about uh, your early career and maybe how you got into this space for us? Sure, sure. Uh, as you mentioned, as um, Jack introduced, I started off in 2014. And by the way, that's right after I graduated from my undergrad uh, in Singapore, where I studied applied mathematics. So um, I didn't do anything in finance right away. I'm actually, I was working as a TV journalist, but it's reporting on the finance and technology space. And that's why, uh, and that's when I get to know many folks in this industry. And one of my uh, industrial friends asked me, Gracie, you should check out crypto. Actually, he said, she said, you should check out Bitcoin. Um, so I read Bitcoin white paper and I bought some BTC, ETH and XRP in 2014, 15-ish. Um, obviously, that went pretty well because I think the price that I, I bought majority of my Bitcoin, um, at, at that time, Bitcoin was only 300 and look at where we are today. Like we are doing this podcast in early December and we just reached, I mean, Bitcoin just reached 40,000 yesterday. It's this uh, all time high within 20 months, not all time high, but 20 months high. Yeah. So very proud of my investment. Uh, but at that time I was uh, more of an investor and it's last year, 2022. Um, I joined Biget, and that's this is actually my first Web three job. And before that, I was doing uh, Web two startups as co-founder and CMO. Oh, that's an, an incredible background. I don't think we've had anyone that's come from a fundamental understanding of mathematics and then gone to journalism and then into crypto. Did that change? Did it give you a unique perspective on, say, the incredible opportunity that Bitcoin and crypto presented? Yeah, totally. So um, because of my background in applied mathematics and also MIT, it's a very technical school. When it comes to especially while making investment decisions, I think I leverage a lot on data and facts. Uh, for example, earlier this year, like me, me this year, I joined this crypto reality show called Killer Wells, where there's a specific crypto version of Shark Tank. So there are a few judges, like five of us on each episode, and there will be projects pitching to us. And those, those are questions that my other panelists might ask is a lot around, you know, what are you doing? What, 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 what product are you building? What's the go-to-market strategy, et cetera. But I'm like, let's look at the data. Let's look at the facts. <laughs> 
Um, and uh, I want to clarify, what do you mean by user number? Is it DAU? Is it registered user? Is it must be user, et cetera? So I'm very technical when it goes to investment and also uh, making decisions around that. Oh, that's really uh, that's really good to hear, actually. It's nice to have someone with such a data-driven view on uh, on the market, on Web3 projects, because, yeah, I think sometimes it can be too easy to get lost in a sea of numbers that don't necessarily mean anything. You're doing things from first principles. So before we get on to talking about your current role and, and with BitGet and what you do at that exchange, I'm interested in just hearing your kind of overall perspective on what we call the crypto markets uh, and maybe it'd be worth you know explaining to our viewers because we've not really we've touched on crypto markets in the past but you know you as an expert it'd be great to hear what you think about it so what do we actually mean when we say crypto markets is it just bitcoin ethereum other tokens or is it something bigger than that what, what's your perspective on all that mm -hmm. that's a that's a good question so i guess people custom um categorize those crypto markets very differently for me, I look at uh, a few different categories. So the first one is the bigger cryptocurrencies such as BTC and ETH. It's a lot. Um, it's very decentralized and uh, uh, the market itself or the, the tokens themselves are very much driven by things like, you know, whether at Bitcoin there's a spot ETF approval and Ethereum there is mm. a Cancun upgrade, things like that, like, like the fundamental upgrade or, or different uh, changes within this specific cryptocurrencies, but these are the major cryptocurrencies. And then the second category I will look at is stablecoin. So USDT, USDC, these are some examples of stablecoin. And uh, uh, look at the name, they have to be stable, right? So they are usually packed to a uh, fiat currency. For example, USDT, USDC, they are packed to USD. And there are also uh, other markets, I, I know like like China, um, Hong Kong, Singapore, they, they all each have their own initiatives. If they're not in the market yet, they are actually underdeveloping. Because uh, I've talked to some of the policymakers and uh, uh, stablecoin issuers in those space. But basically, stablecoins, they are tied to uh, fiat currency. So when people are not holding cryptocurrency, I mean, typical cryptocurrencies such as BTC or ETH, they are probably just parking some of their assets into USDT, USDC. Um, these are the major stable coins. And then a third category I might look at is uh, what we'll call it altcoin, but within altcoins, it's a lot of different categories as well. Like there are layer two cryptocurrencies, there are meme coins, there mm -hmm. are uh, some provides value. Um, such as, you know, uh, like BGB, <laughs> so like our BigGet <laughs> platform token. So they are exchange platform token as well. So these, all these altcoins, they have different reasons of being there, but a fundamental um, reason of issuing cryptocurrency, I would say, is about community, is about sharing that vision with whoever believes in this community. Like for BGB, we, we want to kind of share this uh, uh, this vision with, with our users and with our uh, other other people who are not BigGet employees or, or shareholders, for example. So a question there, Gracie, sure. just a second, because I think that's really interesting that you mentioned already, you know, uh, this term altcoins, right? And it's it seems like this big basket. How do you define an altcoin? Because you mentioned things like meme coins, like your Doge and things like that, but then also platform tokens. And 
And maybe could you explain the role of a platform token? Because I think that's very different to some of the meme coins and, and why do you bucket them in with the altcoin market as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, when I bucket altcoins, I, I would say anything other than maybe top 10 cryptocurrencies. Okay. I will kind of butt them into a coin or if they are not stable coin. Um, and uh, uh, obviously, according to my definition, platform token, exchange platform token will be one of them. Like, for example, if we look at, let's say, CoinGecko right now, I think BigGet uh, platform token, BGB, is around 70, like it's, it's ranked around 70 ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, within all the cryptocurrencies, which I'm pretty proud because mm. actually when I joined the firm about one and a half year ago, like less than two years ago, we are nobody. We are not even on like the, the 1,000 list. There's no <laughs> ranking in our cryptocurrency. But within within two years, we've developed a lot. Of course, I can, I can talk like endless about uh, lessons we learned along along this journey and some of the things that we did right, some of the things that we probably did wrong. Um, this this is a whole whole another story. But my my point is, uh, you know, all the all the exchange, um, the major exchanges, we we pretty much have our platform token, and there are different reasons for having them. But one of them we, we touched upon is to share the the vision and, and value with the community. But also this is sometimes used as a utility token where mm-hmm. our users can uh, get a discount, for example, if they are holding BGB uh, in terms of the, the, the trading fee, they can get a discount and they can participate in some uh, special, more special programs such as you know, Launchpad, Launchpool. Um, not necessarily through BGB, but basically if you're holding BGB, you, you, are, you, are, you are considered more like a privileged user at the mm-hmm. platform. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing that uh, you said earlier that you know, tickled my interest was that you first invested in BTC when it was $300. So I'd describe you as a fairly early investor. You've been around and in the space for a while now. Obviously, we've just come out of the most, well, starting to come out the most recent crypto winter, as most people describe it, mostly because of things like the, the Bitcoin ETF and regulation and regulatory adoption and big institutional adoption coming in. But what are your thoughts on the current state of the crypto market? And what insights do you have as to how it's evolved over the last few years from your perspective? Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, going back to 2014-15, when I made that investment, my rationale was pretty simple. Because uh, after reading BTC um, Bitcoin white paper, written, written, written by Satoshi Nakamoto, whom until today we don't know, who that person or that even that's a person or that's an organization, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, the very genius guy, Satoshi Nakamoto wrote this paper. But from that white paper, what I learned is, at least how, that's how I think is BTC is like a digital gold and Ethereum is like a digital oil. What do, you mean, do I mean by that? So uh, we are millennials and Gen Z. Uh, we, we don't hold gold as our gold as our, you know, parents or even grandparents, right? How they value it. Um, so, and, and also history shows that human always want a, have a strong willingness to store their money in an asset, which is different from the day-to-day working arrangements of government and authority. So right now, gold is uh, uh, one, one of the, the so-called anti-risk asset, but to me, it's a, it's an old generation thing. 
I, I don't buy in that story anymore. And uh, B- B- Bitcoin, because of the mathema- very beautiful mathematical design within it, it's just like gold. It's, it's not endless and you need to mine, you know, Bitcoin out and uh, uh, capture that value. Um, so that's how I build it. And then Ethereum, this is like an ecosystem where people can build on, on it. And uh, um, it's just like how basically Ethereum was more compared to a digital oil because uh, if you think how oil powers up car, similarly, Ethereum powers up decentralized apps built on the Ethereum network protocol. So um, I bought it because I kind of bought in this story or this mm-hmm. narrative and, and which proved to be pretty much true within at least the, the, the past couple of years. Uh, and then in 2013, 14, sorry, 23, 24, like still 10 years ago, um, <laughs> I, I guess right now a big narrative or, or, or outlook uh, in the 24 that I'm personally very interested in uh, and monitor closely about is number one, when does the BTC spot ETF get approved by mm-hmm. SEC? Right now, it's expected in January 24. Um, and the market is recently very optimistic as we see Bitcoin has been growing up a lot within the past couple, uh, like within a couple, couple of uh, weeks. And this is mm-hmm. one thing that I'm monitoring. And the second thing is Ethereum Cancun Upbridge, which is also scheduled for the first quarter next year. And uh, during that period of time, I would say uh, Ethereum and then the layer two ecosystem will further unleash their potential, uh, especially like ZK layer two projects. There are a lot of them uh, upcoming and uh, mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. next year we'll experience a, a, a huge token insurance boom like this period of time where lots of ZK L2 projects were coming up. Uh, and then a third, a third thing that I'm, that I'm monitoring is about U.S. interest rates. Um, mm. When does the hiking cycle reach its end? When does the rate start to cut? Maybe it mm-hmm. can go as early as May 24 or as late as you know end of 24. But I personally mm-hmm. think it will happen in 24. I'm not a macroeconomics expert. Um, mm. But the the five percent plus interest rate is just ridiculously high, uh, <laughs> even if there is uh, um, the, the the inflation that U.S. need to battle. Yeah, so these are the major yeah. things. That then there is probably USDC insurer mm. circle. Uh, probably will go IPO. That's another you know positive mm-hmm. event driving us and having mm-hmm. in that will happen in slightly more than a hundred days. Um, and the recently FTX and uh, Binance case kind of like settled down a little bit. So these are all important events in our space. There's a lot of events, basically. And thanks for that insight. Sorry for throwing you lots of information. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm just the thing. There's like... just so much. <laughs> There's so much. And it's so interesting. And I think we are specifically going to talk about some of these leading events a bit later. One of the things that I found particularly interesting and exciting and it's refreshing to see someone in the space um, who's read the, the Bitcoin white paper. Like a lot of people talk about BTC and they haven't even you know, read the white paper. And like, come on, le- no, learn something. 
Um, I mean, Jack reads it every night just before bed because um, he loves it so much. But one thing I would like to to, set, to come on to about that is, you know, when you read the white paper, the white paper obviously was pushed or uh, pushed as this peer-to-peer digital cash system, right? And like, you know, cash, high transactions, passing from money person to person um, in a more efficient way. But the narrative has changed somewhat in recent years. And the reason I ask this question is because you've, you've also bought into that narrative and something that me and Jack have also started saying is around BTC being compared to, you know, digital gold and a hold of value. Why do you think this transition happened? And like, what, what kind of, um, what did you notice as to why this transition did happen? It's a good question. Uh, actually, even if I said BTC is digital gold, uh, if you look at, I think I read this somewhere, but basically someone did a, a comparison or correlation study on Bitcoin price and gold price. Actually, the, cor- cor- um, sorry, the correlation um, is basically nearly, you want to get guess? It's mm-hmm. what like cool. it's from, from, from zero one, sorry, minus one to one. What's the number? Because that correlation measures, you know, how, how much they correlate with each other. I'm going to guess high, 0.9. Okay, another? Any, any other guess? Point five. I reckon 0.5, something like this. Okay. Uh, actually, the correlation is like somewhere near zero. Oh, really? Surprisingly, really? Wow. right? Uh, it, it means Bitcoin and gold, actually, in terms of price, it doesn't really correlate. So this mm. is an uh, at least for the past few years. Um, mm. This is quite fascinating. Um, so I probably I want to I wouldn't say I want to correct myself in terms of Bitcoin is not digital gold, which I still think mm. it is. Uh, but when I say it is, it, it means Bitcoin is is how we view the current world and how we mm. kind of want to store our asset and uh, hedge against lots of things, not necessarily inflation, because in, I guess, 2018, 19, before that, Bitcoin and inflation rate kind of like, it is a hedge asset. But after that, when, when Bitcoin goes mainstream, by mainstream, I mean, enters the, 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 the view of more traditional financial market, then it's not going uh, against um, hedging, hedging inflation. It's very much mm-hmm. related to, you know, how inflation reacts, how interest rate reacts, and how the traditional financial market drives more, you know, institutional money buying Bitcoin mm-hmm. Ethereum. Uh, big companies such as, you know, MicroStrategy, SpaceX, um, Tesla, and then even like, like U.S. and China, all these governments, they are holding Bitcoins. So mm. it's much more related, like Bitcoin right now is much more related to the traditional financial market. And that's indeed why when I talk about, you know, the top three um, narratives that or outlooks that, that, will, that will happen in 24 that will drive our market, like two of them were related to traditional financial market, right? Recall. Mm. Bought ETFs, uh, Cancun upgrade, and the U.S. interest rate hike. One mm-hmm. inch, one and three. They are both very much related to how the traditional financial industry works. So I guess mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. when the shift happened. The shift happens mm-hmm. because 
this is Bitcoin, Ethereum, and cryptocurrency is going mainstream. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think I think that's a really useful insight to have, right? Is I guess we like to often say kind of Web 2.5 as these new systems are moving towards the mainstream. They're kind of in this flux between what they originally were when when they were started, and then you know what they how they're being picked up and perceived by legacy traditional institution. And at some point, you know, we can expect things like Bitcoin and Ethereum to just be part of the furniture of you know normal finance, which is really interesting. Speaking of you know going mainstream and getting large kind of global scale adoption of, of of crypto, I guess we should move on to this whole idea of you know crypto exchanges, right? Because to my mind, they're a big part of how we go mainstream. You know, getting uh, retail users like you, you know, Alec and I, the, the, the kind of guy on the street. How do we hmm. get involved? How do we get exposure to these assets? How do we hold them? But you know, we've tried to just define a crypto exchange in the past. I think it'd be great to hear from you know from you. What does it? What do we actually mean by a crypto exchange, and how do you see its role in the wider kind of Web three ecosystem? Is it purely just a way to on ramp and off ramp users, or is there kind of a bigger a bigger role for them in terms of the other services you guys can offer? So for, for crypto exchanges, we have uh, different values. Um, trading value is one of them. It's probably a major one of them, but also um, there are values such as market making, um, such as uh, you know provide more liquidity in the space, and also uh, if you know some many, especially the bigger exchange, like I would say the top ten exchanges, including Biget, we are building this whole ecosystem rather than just having the exchange itself. So for them, within our ecosystem, we have an investment um, firm that we closely work with, which is called Force Venture. We are their largest uh, uh, limited partner, their, their largest LP. Uh, so we have an investment arm, and they also have an like, incubation part within just not, not just VC, but also early stage incubation. And then we, we also uh, work closely with a decentralized wallet, which was called BigKeep. And, and later on rebranded to Bigget Wallet. And that's where people can do many on-chain DeFi activities, such as swapping um, and uh, buy some very new innovative altcoins before they are listed as centralized exchange. Uh, so, so I guess within our ecosystem, some of those values can be provided to crypto space by um, also investing and uh, endorsing really good projects. Like within our listing team, uh, we, we work closely with our listing, listing and research team, we work closely with each other so that we can identify uh, which project is really, you know, building something and which project is like scam uh, that we don't want to list uh, at, at the centralized exchange. Yeah, I'd love to know kind of, can you give us any more insight on what kind of criteria you're looking for, right, within the listing? What makes a good proposition for a token or a coin to be listed on an exchange like BitGet? I'd really, really like to hear that from, from your, your kind of insight. Sure. Um, so for listing, we, we look at different categories. Uh, I would say top three. The, the top three things that we value is, number one, real tractions, such as on-chain data, Discord, and uh, Twitter followers and activities, basically how your community is really working together towards this 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 goal that your project has. Um, 
basically, we, we will look at all these tractions in details, like how many people are, uh, have their on-chain wallet linked to, to holding this cryptocurrency and what's the DAU, that's like the user number, uh, daily average user, by the way, DAU stands for that. Mm -hmm. um, so all these, you know, tractions, we will look at them. Uh, and I think that's fun fundamental. And by the way, when we look at tractions, we just don't, don't, we don't just look at, you know, Twitter followers by default. We don't take it for mm -hmm. granted because <laughs> sometimes, as we know, all these followers number can be fake and you can easily mm -hmm. buy uh, fake numbers. Uh, so we will, we will really dig in and see whether these are real, you know, unchectivity, real, real user, real community followers, et cetera. So that's the first category. And then number two, we'll look at the team because ultimately whoever is building this project uh, is really, it's a, the real person driving the, the activity and uh, the, the community. So the team, the team background, the investors profile, what projects they did before uh, and how's that project uh, performing. So this is another category. Uh, and then uh, a third one, I would say still fundamentally, we, we will want to know, you know, business model mm -hmm. uh, and, and your tokenomics, things like that. Like, like how is this project really hatching, like uh, moving around and really building? Uh, what is the problem that you're trying to solve? And if, if you have issued a token or if you have an issue a token, but you plan to do one, what is the the, the tokenomics, how many are mm -hmm. locked and unlocked and for how long, things like that. Yeah. So all these uh, different metrics, we will we'll look at them closely. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really interesting. I think, you know, when most people, including myself, think of exchanges, we just think of, you know, it's a way to buy and sell cryptocurrencies, right? But I think more and more, like you're saying, it's kind of a gateway for engagement, for community, for projects to develop on top of. And that is so important for Web3 adoption of Web3 projects, maybe even beyond cryptocurrencies, right? When you talk about to tokenomics and NFTs and smart contracts, all this, a lot of these will need exchanges like yourself as well, which is extremely exciting. I think, um, you know, one of the questions I'd like to ask, because we see a lot in the news around, you know, certain exchanges and the challenges they've faced, um, maybe with regulation, maybe we'll come on to that a bit later. But in your mind, what are the biggest challenges and opportunities facing crypto exchanges right now? I guess challenges for, for us, the, the, the biggest challenge is still around regulation and compliance. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is uh, there are some governments that, first of all, regulation compliance is not challenging. It's not the challenge. It's unclear regulation is a challenge. And uh, uh, to name a specific country, I think the U.S. is quite chaotic when it comes to, you know, regulating exchanges. Uh, I, I read the other day that Coinbase complained that they had meeting with SEC for like, uh, like, is it hundreds or thousands within a year? But still today, they, they don't have specific um Sorry, that's probably like how many emails that they had. But basically, the, the, the message here is they still don't know whether SEC ca uh, categorizes um, Ethereum or any other altcoins as security or not. Mm -hmm. So it's things like this that make, mm. uh, make 
make us quite difficult in terms of navigating certain markets. We we mm-hmm. don't want, you know, very vague answers. We want mm-hmm. we want clear regulation compliance, and that's that would be helpful not just to exchanges but to the whole you know crypto and blockchain ecosystem. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I was that's why I think that's the number one uh, challenge. And then uh, a second challenge that we are facing at BigGet would be how to navigate our globalization, how to kind of localize some of our products. Because we, we started off in Asia, but right now BigGet is a global exchange. We serve more than 20 million users coming from more than 100 countries. Even our own employees, there are, I think our HR content, there are 60 plus different uh, passport uh, origins. Mm. Yeah, so mm. people are scattered around the world. And, decentralized. Uh, de- very decentralized, <laughs> but also if you know, like if you look at my calendar when you guys book, you know, this interview, right? It's so hard sometimes <laughs> when we are working at different time zones, not to speak that within BigGet people speak different languages. English is our working language. But we, we do have very different cultures and to serve each market. For example, um, you, uh, Latin, Latin America users might be very different from a Southeast Asian users. And then that might, might be very different from a European user. And then within Europe, there are different countries that speak different languages. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes even just like our translation team is, is a big team here at VK, by the way. Um, it's, all these sort of localization, globalization, this is quite challenging, especially at our current stage. Mm. Okay. Well, that's the, the challenges. So what do you think some of the biggest opportunities are right now for crypto exchanges like BitGet? Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, if we look at the challenges, we, we kind of know the opportunities lie within mm-hmm. those threats and challenges as well. So uh, for exchanges or, or if you get away, you have a good system to navigate the globalization, localization, that would be terrific. Uh, so for example, at, at, at Bigit, we, we also, we are recently recruiting some localized product managers in order to localize our product, you know, not just translate mm-hmm. them into a different language, mm-hmm. but also to get to know their user much better than so-called the, the, the global headquarter because they they live in that country or, or that region mm. and they they know the user's behavior. They they probably know which kind of uh, altcoins that they want much better than we do. And we do have a system, for example, where a country manager can initiate a listing of token because they see lots of uh, users want that token in their mm. region. And uh, not just listing manager doing that, but we also want want to make sure that this is a healthy um, healthy system. So, for example, if mm-hmm. my country man, one of my country manager come come to us and say, "I want to list this coin called ABC," um, and because uh, my my country user wanted, but then we listed and it's not performing. There is no traction. Mm-hmm. There's no buyer. We will probably just mm-hmm. downgrade this person's recommendation. So we have a whole system <laughs> of, of doing all, all yeah. of these, like listing, uh, marketing with local uh, media mm. or local events, uh, and 
like an operation, basically everything, it's a lot about how each region is different. And we rely mm -hmm. on our localized team to provide us with those information. So, I mean, th thanks for that. That's really interesting about like, I mean, I didn't really think of some of the business dynamics specifically of exchanges. So that's really useful to understand how to get these localized services for, you know, really kind of global, global solutions and global players. And um, one of the things that you mentioned that regulation, obviously so much of the challenge of Web3 blockchain crypto generally is all about regulation and regulatory uncertainty and all these kind of things. Um, I think you talked about, you know, securities, commodities, how things are listed specifically for, for cryptocurrencies. One thing also on the regulation point, which is probably quite relevant with the whole Binance fine that came out recently around AML, KYC, consumer protection. But um, what are your thoughts on the role of crypto exchanges in promoting financial inclusion? Mm -hmm. Yes. So financial inclusion is a very important topic and uh, uh, we play a pivotal role. Uh, so, for example, at Beget, we have something like blockchain for youth. We are actually announcing another blockchain CSR program. CSR stands for Corporate Social Responsibility, by the way. So these are sort of like investor education, investor and user education part of financial inclusion, where we want to emphasize on providing educational uh, initiatives to help our users and investors understand the risk and uh, return and benefits and, uh, and potential challenges associated with various investment opportunities. So this is one thing. And another thing from financial inclusion point of view, I would say is it's not just about education, uh, educating your investor and user, but also about protecting investor mm -hmm. and user. What I mean by that is this is a very volatile market in, in cryptocurrency mm -hmm. and many user, especially doing Bitcoin goes up like this period of time recently, there are many newcomers and they mm -hmm. probably uh, are just looking around and they don't even know where to start to buy cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. yesterday I was talking to my, one of my friends at Harvard, uh, he was asking me like, if I want to buy some Bitcoin, where should I start? And I gave him a, some advice and basically for exchanges, it's really the starting point, but there are so many smaller exchanges who might be bankrupted like right away. Uh, and I, I think our user have to make a wise choice in terms of go with the bigger names, um, look at, you know, ranking within maybe top 10, top 20, these are the, some of the choices that you, you should think about but don't go for smaller exchanges. Uh, and at BigGet, we have very rigid uh, frameworks to protect our users. For example, we have initiated our BigGet protection fund earlier last year, like mid last year, even before FTX collapsed. Uh, and that was a 200 million uh, fund where we put all the money on open wallet, on-chain data, where mm -hmm. users can really go there and, and see for yourself. After FTX collapse, we increase it to 300 million because we see there are more further needs in terms yeah. of being, you know, protection. And uh, uh, yesterday we just uh, published our monthly uh, result report on this protection fund. And right now it's, it's valued more than 400 million because we have some Bitcoin within this portfolio and some USDT, USDC. And only these mm -hmm. 
three major cryptocurrencies. We don't even have Ethereum nor our platform token mm -hmm. in the protection fund. Uh, okay. So if Bitcoin price goes up, it goes up as well. But schedules mm -hmm. like this or, or frameworks like this is so, so important to protect the users mm -hmm. and investor user protection is very important in financial inclusion. Yeah, an, an interesting thing that you said there, which always blows my mind, it really brings me back to earth when you say, okay, a friend recently asked me, how do I invest in Bitcoin? And obviously we've probably been in the space for a while now, and that's just assumed knowledge. And it kind of still strikes me that we are at the forefront of this. It's still a very emerging technology for a lot of people. And with that comes a lot of growing pains. But, you know, for everyday users, they hear about people losing Bitcoin in their wallets and it being lost in some mine or something like that, and they can't access it anymore. Like, how does BitGet specifically uh, ensure the security of user funds? What kind of technologies do you have to actually secure that? Um, so we, we publish proof reserves. You will use Merkle Tree blockchain technology to have our users being able to validate whether their fund is uh is there or not, which is always there. <laughs> um <laughs> so that's that's one way of uh, protecting users and showing more transparency. Uh and some other I wouldn't say technology, but it's all just like basic financial tools that we use. Uh, uh KYC, know your customer, mm -hmm. AML, mm -hmm. anti-money laundering. So these financial uh, tools and terms that, that we have is also very important in terms of ensuring that uh, we are not dealing with illegit money, for example, and uh, uh, and our users are accredited investors in each region and country, especially when this particular country has very clear regulation compliance. We want to make sure that we follow the rules. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, in order to, you know, by addressing all these aspects, like educating our investor, protecting our investor, uh, do do due diligence on the on the projects as well, uh, and be quite upfront about risk, which is risk disclosure. I think all these mm -hmm. um, are very important in our daily activity, uh, and that 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 can, you know, make. This, at least at, at Beget, we want to play a transformative role in making Web3 uh, finance more accessible while also at the same time safeguarding and educating uh, both traditional and new entrants in the investment space. Yeah, that's really refreshing to hear that you've kind of got this, what seems like a very progressive stance towards uh, you know, crypto and crypto markets, right? Because sounds like you sit somewhere between a centralized exchange and a decentralized exchange. You're doing everything you need to do to, to protect your customers, right? Which you don't necessarily get with a decentralized exchange. But as you said, you still have wallet services and things to allow users to, to kind of take control of their funds. So it's good to hear that you're doing things the right way. Um, and, you know, things like publishing proof of reserves is great. I, I completely am behind that kind of initiative because, again, it's, it's using these principles of Web3, right? This transparency to make sure that users can be more confident in their funds, which I think is, is a really great thing. Um, speaking of accessibility, you said, you know, you want to make this as accessible as possible to users. How do you view kind of making it accessible to new users, right? Because I presume, you know, we're in 2023 now, there'll be this big pool of users who like me and Alec already know about crypto and, you know, may just use the exchange very easily. But then you've got people like your friend at Harvard, who is just at the start of their journey and asking you now, you know, how do I get involved? So 
is that a big challenge, like making it accessible to both groups of users? And how are you how are you trying to attract and grow the services to the new kind of uh, the new people who are completely green to the industry and have never maybe held any Bitcoin or anything in the past? Mm. I, I guess for for me, I have the two different approaches. So for some users uh, who are you know like in, interested in uh, using more cryptocurrency exchanges, I would say try some features. For example, at Biget, we have this thing called a copy trading. So uh, let me quickly explain what is copy trading first. So this is basically where uh, we have a traditional, uh, sorry, we have elite traders who are professional uh, crypto traders and they can open their subscription service to copy trading um, where new users can subscribe to their portfolio. And when, when, when the elite traders are buying or selling, the new users will just automatically buy and sell. Uh, and we offer this to both derivative market and also spot market so that it can be tailored towards different risk appetite. Um, and this is a method to allow novice investors and less experienced mm -hmm. traders to participate in the Bitcoin market or crypto market, even if they may not have the time or resource to trade on their own. Um, that's that, that's one one way of looking at it. So try copy trading, and you can you can use you know uh, fake money because we provide this uh, um, trial. Uh, ske yeah. schedule so that people people may be able to firstly understand what that that is. It's a, and it's it's quite a new feature. It's quite a feature that sets Beget apart from other cryptocurrency exchanges because we launched this in May 2020. Uh, it's been more than three years, and uh, I think Binance just launched it this year. Uh, but at the same time, we also the the world's largest cryptocurrency copy trading platform. Um, so that's that's one one way, mm -hmm. and then another way is if you even if for users who are not trading on Bitget, uh, I would say do something quite simple and straightforward, such as dollar cost averaging. Right now, Bitcoin mm -hmm. is traded at forty k. Uh, my personal uh, prediction of Bitcoin price within this bull market is probably another two to three times the current price at least. Yeah. So, uh, so just do you know? Don't try to time the market because nobody can time the market. Um, mm -hmm. And I've been talking about this since last year when Bitcoin <laughs> price was only you know twenty twenty k. But basically, if you really follow my advice, and within the past one year from twenty k to forty k, you kind of accumulate your your chip on a monthly basis. You should have lots of. Bitcoin at at an average price of you know thirty something, right? And that's that's pretty mm -hmm. good if we look at the current price or some of the outlooks. Uh, so dollar cost averaging is is a method that I would recommend to many new users um, mm -hmm. who you know just dollar cost average on Bitcoin and Ethereum. Don't even try to understand other stuff, other altcoins yes. if you don't have the time, or if you you can try copy trading. That's, that's just another mm. way of doing it. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think I can see how that makes things more accessible, right? Because I have noticed copy trading 
popping popping up in other you know historical classic exchange. I think eToro. I remember seeing that a number of years ago. And I'm glad you're really glad you mentioned dollar cost averaging. That's a term we actually haven't had on the podcast before, but it's a really good one because, to my mind, it's kind of a very accessible way of getting exposure to the crypto market because it mimics you know a bit more like putting money into a retirement ISA or something, right? Because you're you're not, as you say, not trying to tie the market. You're not trying to be one of these elite traders who seems to know what's going on all the time. You're just putting in the same sum every month in the hope that on average, it will give you good returns like in, in the stock market. So that's a really interesting uh, approach to it. So we've mentioned it a little bit throughout, but there's been some really huge recent events that's very relevant to any crypto investor, crypto exchanges, everyone across the board. The first one I want to get your, you know, your take on is the BlackRock Bitcoin ETF. Is the hype that it's getting um, valid? I think so. <laughs> uh, I, I think, yeah, Bitcoin and I also, I hope so. Uh, I guess not just BlackRock ETF, but also uh, other similar asset management firms such as Fidelity, Wisdom Tree, they have all applied for Bitcoin spot ETF in the United States. Uh, by the way, let's just quickly clarify. Actually, in the U.S., there is Bitcoin ETF, but not spot, mm -hmm. but like futures mm -hmm. ETF uh, that's approved already. And also, Bitcoin spot ETF is not just something in the U.S., it's global. And right now, a majority, I think, slightly around 50% of the market share are in Canada because Canada has approved um, spot ETF in their market. Bitcoin spot ETF in their in their market, and um, it's um, it's 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 also a, a pretty big fi financial market. But still, the U.S. in terms of uh, finance um, gurus or, or the giant, they are all largely based in the U.S., especially in New York, uh, on the Wall Street. So, uh, if Bitcoin spot ETF get to be approved in the U.S., uh, the money that I personally think might be flowing into cryptocurrency where all these institutional investors and such as pension funds, such as high net worth individuals, family office, they they can buy Bitcoin uh, through very smooth fiat channel and, and you know, very regulated, very well regulated uh, um, space. And then the money we're looking at is probably some somewhere like 100 billion USD. So, so that's uh, okay. uh, it's a big market, and uh, mm. that that we want to tackle, uh, and also yeah. uh, that's why this is so so like such a driving force about Bitcoin price recently. Yeah, but I, yeah, I personally huge, think yeah. it's it's not just it's not a a, a problem or a question of whether or not it will be feel proof. It's just like a win. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's exciting to hear. The institute institutional adoption is so important for this space, right? And I think the other big event is around yeah, the failures of FTX, maybe some of the fines around Binance. Um, you know, given all of these things that have happened around FTX and Binance in, in, in recent times, how does this affect exchanges like BitGet going forward? And what does the future look like for exchanges in BitGet going forward? Um, I guess for, for us, we, by the way, we don't serve US customers. And we mm -hmm. didn't serve U.S. customers for, for, for a long time. Um, actually, I think around like FTX time, we, we, we kind of know that we don't want to uh, do this market <laughs> for the moment. Uh, at least before the regulation and compliance become very clear. 
um, and uh, it's anticipated. I mean, for the upcoming few years, it's probably still quite hard to navigate. And uh, for the Binance and FTX lawsuits, I would say as, as a fellow exchange, I, I don't want to comment on them too much. Uh, but I, I guess a general rule here or, or, or general opinion here is that uh, I, I, I don't necessarily view them as bad thing in, in crypto. It's actually neutral or even a little bit positive in terms mm. of uh, this has been, this is like more like settled down already. Uh, FTX and Sam SBF is facing his, his um, judge and uh, uh, sen sentence, I would say. And then CZ, uh, they decided to pay this 4 billion USD to, you know, US governments, except for SEC. I mean, the SEC part is still unsettled. But mm -hmm. other than that, like CFTC, DOJ, I think that those are pretty much settled by, by this 4 mm. billion. So there is a pretty clear, uh, like black swan event, which mm -hmm. is, you know, just, just hold it and, and put it down because it's, it's there already. It's priced in. And even with, with this, these two lawsuits, as we see mm. the Bitcoin prices still be going up because there are, uh, very big other important reasons that's driving up the crypto price, uh, meaning these events are priced in uh, already, mm -hmm. which for the moment, I think it's, it's doing fine. And for us as another exchange, uh, what we learned from this is number one, don't, don't, don't mess up with the US. And, uh, <laughs> and that's why we don't serve US customers. And then number two, uh, be, be, be sure to, like, we have a much bigger compliance team after FTX mm -hmm. as well, like that we realize that we need to have enough manpower and resource to navigate this more and more difficult regulation compliance schedule mm. in the world. Uh, and, and we want to talk to, you know, local, local regulators and be fully transparent when they ask questions. I actually have email receiving questions around that from some of the governments and I will reply to them. Uh, mm. I'll talk to compliance team and, and, you know, uh, thank each other. And I, I will even, you know, reply some of them personally, like writing the emails clearly and, mm. and, and, and answer those questions. So be transparent, be compliant and, uh, mm -hmm. um, keep yourself updated, have a strong compliance and regulation team. I guess that's, that's some of the things that we, we all learned as exchanges. Well, that's exciting. It's great to hear there is a small positive take on these events. So we're coming to the final parts. And, you know, with all guests, we asked two quick fire questions just to see how the consistency across the board and how it evolves over time. So the first question I'd like to ask you, Gracie, is in one sentence, what is Web3 to you? Um, this is actually easier to, to explain in Chinese, but <laughs> because there's a there's a three interesting words that distinguishes web one, web two, web three. It's all called jian in Chinese, but web one is like han jian, meaning like I just see it, I, I see it, I observe it, and web two is uh is jian ding, and that means I interact with it. I, I kind of mm -hmm. you know uh, I can I can send Twitter, I can I can share, I can social 
uh, do social media, etc. And then Web3 is called 建设, that means building. So I'm not just mm-hmm. observing, interacting, I'm also participating in the, in the build of Web3. Uh, I hope this, this helps as a, as a you know, a- elementary Chinese lesson as well, not just Web3, quick take. I love that. That might be my favorite answer so far. Thank you so much for that. That's great. Um, and the second question is, so if you could choose anyone, dead or alive, to sit down and discuss Web3 with, who would it be and why? Oh, interesting. By the way, I got asked about this question in another occasion, but that's not to discuss Web3. It's just like dead or alive, who do you want to talk to? Mm-hmm. And I said, in that question, I said Maria Curie, because I want to mm-hmm. ask her how to survive in such a male-dominated industry. <laughs> uh, <Fair enough. laughs> but for, for the Web3 thing, I think I, I think I definitely want to meet Satoshi Nakamoto if that is the person. Yeah. Uh, no. I wanna I wanna understand what what made him or her uh, decide to create such a beautiful uh, thing. Um, especially when I say mathematically beautiful, I can really appreciate the mathematics behind it. Um, yeah, so that's that's the person I would pick. Awesome. Well, that's the first time we've had Marie Curie, not the first time we've had Satoshi, but I like both really good answers. And yeah, likewise, I really enjoyed your, your definition of Web3 that I have to, have to learn that one myself for the future. Gracie, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for, for sparing your time to talk to us. It sounds like you've got a lot of exciting irons in the fire for 2024. So, you know, we'll let you get back to, to realizing all those ambitions and dreams. And with that, we'll say to our audience, thank you for listening wherever you may be. And we'll join you next time to untangle a little more of Web3. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Untangling Web3, produced by Emma Camilleri. Don't forget to send us your thoughts, questions, and comments on social media. And be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast provider to catch the next episode. See you next time to untangle a little bit more of Web3. The views we express here are our own and do not reflect the views of our employers.